Okay, well, welcome to our first class on the Book of Homilies. Um, did everybody get the email with the links and all that sort of stuff? Okay, so if you um, if you have have a device where you can look at it, that's a good thing. If not, that's okay. Well, you can still everybody can still listen. As I was telling the folks, um, for those of y'all that have joined us on Zoom, those some of the folks here in in person. Um, we might change the microphone setup and the, the way we seat a little bit if, uh, depending on how discussion goes, like if it turns out we just kind of need to be more circled up for this series, we'll do that um, and see how that works for the recording and for Zoom. Okay, so um, let's, let's kind of introduce the books of homilies to begin with. Now, the, what I'm thinking about for this, this series is because there's a whole bunch of homilies, and for the most part, they are, they're, they're more or less standalone. The first several kind of work as a chain, but then they do become more or less standalone. If we need to, for whatever reason, kind of take a break, come back to this series, we can do that. So this doesn't have to be, we're gonna spend the next year or two <laughs> going through the book of homilies. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, in terms of our materials, um, I sent out to everybody the links for um, where you can download the John Griffiths edition. This is a relatively recent uh, reprint of that that I have. Um, Griffiths, the Griffiths edition was 19th century. Um, the reason why this is a the best public domain one, the one you can just get from online, is that it has modernized spellings. If you, a lot of times, if you look up the book of homilies, like if you don't look for the right one, <laughs> you just Google, you know, two books of homilies, um, PDF or something like that, you're going to get something with very archaic spelling that's hard to, hard to read because the English has changed over the last 400 years. Um, but the Griffiths one being a 19th century edition, it's public domain and is, so you can get it online for free. Um, but it does have modern spelling. Um, on those scans, good luck in reading some of the notes. Um, my, <laughs> my facsimile, good luck reading some of the notes, but the text itself is still there and that's, that's perfectly fine. A much better option for those of y'all that want to uh, kick out a few bucks is um, Gerald Bray has a relatively recent edition. I'm gonna let Mickey in the Zoom here real quick. Okay, Richard, so you ordered the Gerald Bray edition. Excellent, okay. That's, is that the one you have there, Pam? The Gerald Bray one? Excellent. So you guys, you guys are ahead of me with your copy. Um, okay, so the, Gerald Bray is um, a, an, an evangelical Anglican scholar. Um, he was teaching at, I think, Beeson Divinity School here in the States, but I'm not sure if he still is. Um, but his, his edition is only a few years old. And it is an excellent scholarly critical edition. He has notes and all those other sort of things. And I think he even has kind of a counter-reformation um, answer to the books of homilies during the time of Mary the First. And we'll get to some of that background in a little bit. Um, if you do not get that edition and you just kind of want like a little Cliff's Notes, Gerald Bray has another book here that is called A Fruitful Exhortation, A Guide to the Homilies. Again, that's also by Gerald Bray, 
And he doesn't get into the text, but this gives you some really good background information to each of the homilies and the homilies in general, um, things to look for, that sort of thing. So this is a good companion, but those of y'all that have ordered the Bray the critical edition, you probably don't need it. Um, so this is a good optional text. Um, I am gonna be just with my good old, old uh, public domain Griffiths edition here. Um, so let's talk about the books of homilies themselves in general. Oh, got one more coming in. This is uh, this is a good good attendance both in person and in in Zoom for our midweek stuff lately. Um, okay, so let's talk about the books of homilies kind of in general, not specific editions. Um, we have two books of homilies. And you might recall from our articles class that they are mentioned in the 39 articles, especially the second book of homilies and particularly in the um, English version, not the American version. The American version basically says, yeah, we're keeping this here until we have time to do some editing of the homilies and do our own edition, which never happened. Um, the, 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 books of, the first book of homilies comes from the time of Edward VI, and um, it's shorter. It kind of gives basics of Reformation doctrine. I thought I saw someone else try to pop in here again. It's, uh, oh, yep, there's one more coming in, okay. Um, yeah, so the first book of homilies comes from the time of Edward the, Edward the Sixth. So the, the, uh, the first truly reformed <laughs> of the post-Reformation uh, English monarchs. Henry, if you'll recall, um, basically wanted to keep things theologically the way they had been under Rome. He just didn't want to be under the Pope anymore. But um, during Edward's time, um, things really do move in, in, a, in a more distinctly Protestant direction, very intentionally so, both be on Edward's part and on his advisor's parts. And the first book of homilies is largely the work of Archbishop Cranmer. And we don't know that for sure, but we're pretty sure it's, I mean, we know that he was, it was his project and we're pretty sure he's the author of most of the first book. Um, possibly not all of the first book, but um, certainly much of it. And uh, Bray will get into that in his notes, um, both in the fruitful exhortation and in his um, edition you have there. The second book of homilies is published during the time of Elizabeth. Again, it's, it's, it's topical, but things start to get a little bit um, more specific in, in the topics during, during, for the second book of homilies. So in the second book of homilies, you're gonna find one that is specifically addressing how you handle the church, specifically addressing um, certain holy days, things like that. Um, fasting, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas the first book of homilies is a lot more general theological issues. And, and we'll, that's what we're gonna be getting into first. Um, what the reason for the book of homilies was that when we come into the Reformation, uh, the English church isn't getting rid of all the priests and bringing in new guys. This isn't a new church, right? This is a reform of the church, but there was a problem. And part of the problem was that the clergy in the late middle ages moving into the reformation were, were, were not really good at being pastors. <laughs> they were not well equipped in, the, in their pastoral duties 
beyond the sacramental aspect of things. Um, you know, the duty of a priest in the eyes of late medieval Rome and going into early the early modern era was that the main job of the priest is to celebrate the mass, to, to, to perform the sacraments on behalf of the people. Um, he was not a preacher. He was not a teacher generally. Now you had some guys that were, but, but for the most part, that wasn't something that they were looking for in their clergy. The Reformation changes that. I mean, uh, the Reformation is very much a word-centered movement. Getting the word of God to the people is a, is a top priority. Um, preaching is a huge priority. Um, and it's not that the sacraments were not, but they, but a priority, but in an effort to undo some of the superstition, they, they had to change emphases. And so preaching becomes a major priority, but a lot of the clergy are not equipped to preach. They're not good at it. They haven't been trained. They can't be trusted in the pulpit. So the book of homilies is a way to handle that. Okay, you are going to be, until you're licensed by um, the powers that be, your bishop, synod, whatever, um, to preach, you do not get to preach your own homilies. You must preach from these that we're publishing for you to preach. Um, and, and this also serves to be a teaching manual. This is the official curriculum for teaching and preaching in the early days of the Reformation. Uh, you know, any time we're going to try to change things, reform things, we do need to re-educate people. And so that's one of the ways it's done. So we have the Book of Common Prayer, we have the Bible in English, uh, you know, in, in every parish, and then we now have the Book of Homilies. And that really becomes the cornerstone of the English Reformation in those early generations. Uh, questions so far, any comments so far? The three together, yes, yeah. So having the, the prayer book, having the Bible in English, and having the book of homilies, that, that's really the cornerstone of the English Reformation. Why is that? Well, because now we're all praying the same thing. And praying is teaching us how we address God, is teaching us our duties, that sort of thing, as we're praying it. Um, we're, we're getting into the Bible. We're, we're hearing it if we can't read it. And if you can read, you have access to it. And then um, through, through, the, through the pulpit, uh, coming from the Book of Homilies, is the other way. So this is the way that the, the, the message of the Reformation is going out and getting internalized by the people, is week by week praying these prayers, hearing this Bible, hearing these homilies. Pam, do you have a question too? No, I was just saying that during that time, it was necessary to make sure they were preaching the truth. So that's what I understand. Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean the, the, the content of homilies was super important to the reformers. Um, frankly, much more important than it is to a lot of our people today. And, and so uh, making sure that they were all on the same page theologically, that they were indeed preaching the truth, um, what was very important. Um, you know, and, and, and there's, I've even heard this from some uh, very Anglo-Catholic priests, and Anglo-Catholics do not tend to be very friendly to the homilies, modern-day Anglo-Catholics, because some of the doctrine is a little too, too Protestant in their mind. But I've heard, I've heard some of these, I say, yeah, we really kind of do need to, to do this project again, <laughs> because there's a lot of folks that still can't be trusted, and maybe <laughs> this would solve some of the, uh, 
solve some of the problem of a, of a dearth of clergy, especially like in England, where um, you know you don't have enough clergy to go around anymore. Um, and so they're they're trying to think, think of new new ways to do it. And so kind of something new like this is, is a good idea. Um, there have been some really good modernization recently um, of, of the homilies. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Kurt Hine, for Lent at his parish, they, they he, he and his father did a modernization that he sent out to the parish and uh, divided it up into 40 days. Uh, if anybody needs a cop, wants a copy of that, he's given me permission to distribute that um, as I see fit. So send me, send me a message, send me an email, I'll get that to you. Um, another one, this is probably, with, with all due respect to Father Kurt, it's probably a better edition, is um, one by the presidents of the church society. So they're kind of an evangelical group in the Church of England, a guy named Lee Gaddis. Uh, Reverend Gaddis has just published a, a modernization of the first book. Um, and the only reason why I say I think it's probably better is it's it had a lot more editors rather than just my my friend and his father. <laughs> but um, yeah, Gaddis just recently put out one that that is worthwhile, and, and you know, in his mind, he's kind of going back to the source, right? Why am I putting out a modernization? Well, because we need these things to go out there. We've kind of lost some of these truths. Um, and this, what better way to get it back out there than to have it in modern English? And perhaps even some some parishes might you do that from time to time. Um, you know, I, I have gone to the homilies uh, for my own preaching, either to kind of get some outline material, like like my a Good Friday homily I have in my in my files, is me kind of going to the one in the second book of homilies. Um, outlining it and then kind of you know back to a skeleton and then putting some new meat on it uh, for for our context i've also just read one of the homilies whether whether in a modernization or in its original form uh for some of our videos if i'm going to be out of town i might do that for the folks that you know, need a video when i'm not going to be preaching that week so they're there it, it's still very relevant today um my friends at the north american anglican they have been publishing beginning with the second book of homilies, republishing it on the website from time to time. Um, they haven't gotten into the first book yet. Um, so they started with the second book and you can find that at northamanglican.com uh, if anybody wants that. So that's all the, uh, the commercial stuff. Um, let's get into this first part of the first homily in the first book of homilies. And so each of these you're gonna see is split into two or three parts. I don't recall, to be honest, if that's part of the way they are originally published, or if that's something that later editors like John Griffiths here did um, for our convenience. But here is the first part of the first homily. I'll read it and then we can talk about it. What I, what I might do is let's, we'll, we'll, we'll go paragraph by paragraph actually, because I think that'll, that'll make for better discussion. This is titled, A Fruitful Exhortation to the reading and knowledge of Holy Scripture. So we're beginning our book of homilies with a homily about the Bible. Why, why, why do you think that might be important for, for the reformers? Yeah, it's all back to the Bible. That, absolutely. And that was not the case at one, you know, for a lot of the church at this time. So this is, this is relaying the foundation, right? Okay, so let's get into this. 
Unto a Christian man, there can be nothing either more necessary or profitable than the knowledge of Holy Scripture. For as much as in it is contained God's true word, setting forth his glory and also man's duty. And there is no truth nor doctrine necessary for our justification and everlasting salvation, but that is or may be drawn out of that fountain and well of truth. Therefore, as many as be desirous to enter into the right and perfect way unto God must apply their minds to know Holy Scripture, without the which they can neither sufficiently know God and his will, neither their office and duty. And as drink is pleasant to them that be dry and meat to them that be hungry, so is the reading, hearing, searching, and studying of Holy Scripture to them that be desirous to know God or themselves and to do his will. And their stomachs only do loathe and abhor the heavenly knowledge and food of God's word, that be so drowned in worldly vanities that they neither savor God nor any godliness. For that is the cause why they desire such vanities rather than the true knowledge of God. As they that are sick of an ague, whatsoever they eat or drink, though it be never so pleasant, yet it is, it is as bitter to them as wormwood, not for the bitterness of the meat, but for the corrupt and bitter humor that is in their own tongue and mouth. Even so is the sweetness of God's word bitter, not of itself, but only unto them that have their minds corrupted with long custom of sin and love of this world. Okay, thoughts on this first uh, first page, this first this first uh, very long paragraph. Okay, so the word convicts. Okay, yeah, and he he ta he talks about in the homily um, here that um, the word of God is only bitter to us when we're so accustomed to sin. <laughs> it's like if you're sick, good food tastes bad to you because you're 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 you're. It's a problem with you, not with the good food, right? Yeah, that's 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 real good. Anything else? Jump out. Yeah. So, how is this different from what's going on in other parts of the of the of the Christian Church at this time? Um, yeah, this this is this is this is pretty this is this is pretty standard stuff for the reformers for for the Protestant thought um, because all 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 the Protestant you know thought is we're going back to God's word. This is how we know God. Um, the the Roman Church at the time wouldn't deny that Scripture is God's word, but they would probably say that, well, we're not sure we can trust regular folk with it. Um, so you're not going to understand it. You're going to be confused. You need your priests. You need your bishops. Now, part of the irony there is the priests don't really know the word either at that time, a lot of them. Um, so you have to have the church as that mediator between you and God's word. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to get all messed up. Whereas the reformers said, God's word can stand on its own. Um, you do need the church. You do need God's people. But, you know, we, we want to get the word of God out there so that famously, I think this was a, a Lutherism, although it might have been somebody else, you know, that the, 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 the plowboy would know this Bible better than the, than the parish priest at this time. You know, that was their goal. So that, that's probably the big contradiction. Um, and, and I would point out that, that um, the Roman Catholic Church has moved on from that position since then. 
Um, the most popular Christian podcast today is simply, um, uh, I think it's Bishop Barron, Roman Catholic Bishop, reading through the Bible <laughs> in a year. I mean, it is a super popular, is like the most popular Christian podcast right now. And, you know, Roman Catholics reading through the Bible. I mean, they're not really doing much other than that. <laughs> All right. Y'all ready to move on to the next paragraph? Breaking it into these three parts is really good because that means that each one of these is only a couple of pages. Okay, next paragraph. So we've talked about how um, it's bitter to those that are that are that are um, corrupt, whose minds have been corrupted with long love of sin in the world. Therefore, forsaking the corrupt judgment of fleshly men, which care not but for their carcass, let us reverently hear and read holy scriptures, which is the food for the soul. Let us diligently search for the well of life in the books of the New and Old Testament, and not run to the stinking puddles of men's traditions devised by man's imagination for our justification and salvation. For in Holy Scripture is fully contained what we ought to do and what we ought to eschew, what we ought to believe and, and what to love, and what to look for at God's hands at length. In those books, we shall find the Father, from whom the Son, by whom, and the Holy Ghost, in whom all things have their being and keeping up. And these three persons be but one God and one, and one substance. In these books, we may learn to know ourselves, how vile and miserable we be, and also to know God, how good he is of himself, and how he maketh us and all creatures partakers of his goodness. We may learn also in these books to know God's will and pleasure as much for this present time as is convenient for us to know. And as the great clerk and godly preacher, St. John Chrysostom saith, whatsoever is required of salvation of man is fully contained in scripture of God. He that is ignorant that may there learn and have knowledge. He that is hard-hearted and obstinate sinner Shall, find, shall there find everlasting torments prepared of God's justice to make him afraid and to mollify or soften him. He that is oppressed with misery in this world shall there find relief in the promises of everlasting life to his great consolation and comfort. He that is wounded by the devil unto death shall find their medicine whereby he may be restored again unto health. If it shall require to teach any truth or reprove false doctrine, to rebuke any vice, to commend any virtue, to give good counsel, to comfort, or to exhort, or to do any other thing requisite for our salvation, all those things, saith St. Chrysostom, we may learn plentifully of the scripture. There is, saith Fulgentius, abundantly enough both for men to eat and children to suck. There is whatsoever is meat for all ages and for all degrees and sorts of men. I have to do a little aside as we end this paragraph. Um, ah, the, the poetic language, that the way the way the imagery that they have of the scriptures in here is just, I just love it. Like it just, it just makes me smile. Um, you know, what, what did they, they, they say, uh, you know, for, you know, both meat for men to eat and, and enough for uh, children to suck, um, you know, wounded of the devil and death shall find medicine, you know, those types of things. It's just beautiful language. Um, yeah, well, well thought, thoughts, on, thoughts on this, on this paragraph, anything jump out to you as you hear this or as you read this one? Mm. 
Notice that, that um, and this one is by Thomas Cranmer, we're pretty sure. Archbishop Cranmer here is quoting from St. Chrysostom and St. Fulgentius, two of the church fathers. You'll find that other than scripture, almost all the time they're quoting from the fathers. This is going to be something that's very, very typical in the books of homilies. Why, why do you think that might be that they're so careful, Thomas Cranmer and the other bishops that did this, to go to the fathers rather than to say maybe quote Luther or Calvin or one of those guys. Exactly, exactly. To show that this is indeed a reform and not revolution. This is not an in, in innovation, but this is this is going back to the way things always had been until it had been cover, corrupted. Um, you're, you'll you'll find that you know there's something that, that they've talked about in both these paragraphs so far that we, we, we mentioned in the articles about in scripture, you're going to find everything you need for faith and morals, everything you need for salvation. If you need to know it for your soul, for the benefit of your soul, for your soul to be saved, it's going to be found in scriptures. Um, that, that's, that's the big thing. And, and, and anything else? Well, we can move on to the next paragraph then. Father Isaac? I don't know if you can hear me. All right. Well, here's the, this next one's kind of long, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and take the whole thing and that ends this part. These books, therefore, ought to be much in our hands, in our eyes, in our ears, in our mouths, but most of all in our hearts. For the scripture of God is the heavenly meat of our souls. The hearing and keeping of it maketh us blessed, sanctifieth us, and maketh us holy. It turneth our souls. It is a light lantern to our feet. It is a sure, steadfast, and everlasting instrument of salvation. It giveth wisdom to the humble and lowly hearted. It comforteth, maketh glad, cheereth, and cherisheth our consciences. It is a more excellent jewel or treasure than any gold or precious stone. It is more sweet than honey or honeycomb. It is called the best part which Mary did choose. For it hath in it everlasting comfort. Let's stop real quick before we, we move on. Um, if you have the Griffiths edition in front of you, you'll see a bunch of these. Um, these bits are in italics. That's indicating that they're a quotation from scripture. Now, this predates the King James. So some of the way this is quoted is a little, might, might sound a little odd to our ears. But yeah, these are all, these kind of stringing quotations or paraphrases of scripture. And um, I know here in the Griffiths edition, they have in the, in the, in the margins, the, the references. I'm assuming the same is gonna be true in, in the Bray edition. Um, I think I saw a comment there, but I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to read it on, on Zoom. So I apologize, Zoom guys, the camera is small and very far away. Okay, let's continue on. The words of Holy Scripture be called words of everlasting life, for they be God's instrument, ordained for the same purpose. They have power to turn through God's promise, and to be, and they be effectual through God's assistance. And being received in a faithful heart, they have ever in heavenly and spiritual working in them. They are lively, quick, and mighty in operation, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and entereth through even unto the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow. Christ calleth him a wise builder that buildeth upon his word, upon his sure and substantial foundation. For this word of God, or by this word of God, we shall be judged. For the words that I speak, saith Christ, is it that shall judge in the last day. 
He that keepeth the word of Christ is promised the love and favor of God, and he that shall be the dwelling place or temple of the blessed Trinity. This word, whosoever is diligent to read, and in his heart to print that he readeth, the great affection to the trans transitory things of this world shall be minished in him, and the great desire of heavenly things that be therein promised of God shall increase in him. And there is nothing that so much strengtheneth our faith and trust in God, that so much keepeth up innocency and pureness of the heart, and also of, of, of do word godly life and conversation, that means a dutiful, as continual reading and recording of God's word. For that thing which, by continual use of reading of Holy Scripture and diligent searching of the same, is deeply printed and graven in the heart, at length turneth almost unto nature. And moreover, the effect and virtue of God's word is to illuminate the ignorance and to give more light unto them that faithfully and diligently read it, to comfort their hearts and to encourage them to perform that which of God is commanded. It teacheth patience in all adversity, in prosperity, humbleness, what honor is due to God, what mercy and charity to our neighbor. It giveth good counsel in all doubtful things. It showeth of whom we shall look for aid and help in all perils, and that God is the only giver of victory in all battles and temptations of our enemies, bodily and ghostly. I'm going to stop there because we're still, this is a very long paragraph. Um, stop for uh, thoughts, questions, comments at this point. Um, anything that jumps out right now? What is, how do the average person view scripture at this time? Okay, that's that's a good question. And um, it seems that a lot of the, the, the arguments you'll hear today are not very different from they, they were at that time. So you'll, you'll usually hear people say something like, well, I try to look at it, but it doesn't, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so, you know, it just word on, it's just word on the page to me, that kind of thing. Or you might, someone say, you know, I'd read scripture, but I'm afraid that I might get the wrong, draw the wrong conclusions and be drawn into error. So I'm going to just go find a teacher rather than read it myself. That, that's that, Those are going to be the, the main things. And those objections do get answered, um, if not in the second part, then in the third part of this homily. So that is something that they do. Um, it's one of the parts that always stood out to me is the answer to those objections, um, which, I mean, spoiler alert, basically says the best way to overcome those is to get into scripture. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's why God did give us teachers is to help us. But part of what we're supposed to do as teachers is to help them help folks understand the Bible. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say that... Um, and you did find among the folks that were literate, there was a big desire for scripture, like the black market in the Bible when it was illegal was the hugest of black market. It was like super profitable to be a Bible smuggler. Like, like yeah, if you printed your, I mean, that's what they're doing, like, like in Henry's day, um, or, you know, let's even, let's even be a little, little less, you know, kind of underground, you know, persecution type stuff. The Puritans were doing their own Bible, and you know when they were when you know their anti-establishment Bible, and they were making tons of money printing that overseas and smuggling it into England. You know, during later in later generations, it yeah, because the literate people were eating it up, but and, and literacy was something that was in transition at this time among among you know 
the common people, whatever that means. So you, you did have more literacy, um, but there were still a lot of folks that were not yet literate. Um, and so, yeah, but that's one of the reasons why in the prayer book, they were supposed to have the Old and New Testament read morning and evening every day, pretty systematically, not like our terrible 1945 revision of the lectionary. Speaking of which, so today's lesson from the Exodus, they seem to go out of their way, the editors in 1945, to chop out the verses in the Exodus where the people of Israel actually going through the Red Sea. Like, like they're taking the point away. I don't know what the heck that was all about. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. These are the verses you're skipping? <laughs> you're skipping the point. Oh, absolutely terrible. Not the way that our forefathers would have done things. But um, yeah, so that even those that were illiterate, though, could hear, be hearing the word day in and day out and start to internalize it. Okay, let's, um, let me see if I can find out where I left off. Okay. And in reading of God's word, he most profiteth not always that is most ready in turning of the book or in saying of it without the book. So not the memorizer, the guy that's reading through the Bible all the time, but he that is most turned into it, that is most inspired with the Holy Ghost and most in his heart and life altered and changed into that thing which he readeth. He that is daily less and less proud, less wrathful, less covetous, less desirous of worldly and vain pleasures. He that daily forsaking his old vicious life increaseth in virtue more and more. And to be short, there is nothing that more maintaineth godliness of the mind and driveth away ungodliness than doth the continual reading or hearing of God's word, if it be joined with a godly mind and a good affection to know and follow God's will. For without a single eye, pure intent, single meaning, single-minded eye, like a focused eye, pure intent and good mind, nothing is allowed for good before God. And on the other side, nothing more darkeneth Christ in the glory of God, nor bringeth in more blindness and all kinds of vices than doth the ignorance of God's word. So driving home what? We need to be changed by God's word. That's the most important thing. You know, practice what you're reading. Don't just read to read. Don't just, don't just memorize to memorize, but practice it. Um, be changed by it. Um, bring forth those that, that fruit of fruit of righteousness. You know, be, become a better person because of it. And that is the end of the first part of the first homily. So um, next week we'll, we'll we'll look at the second part. But anything else y'all wanted to talk about with this first part of the first homily? Now, Pam, you have the um, you have the Bray edition. Does it break it up into those three parts like this? No, but I have boxes. Right, right. But it, but it doesn't look like it breaks it up. Okay, so. Okay, so, but, but does it break it up into specifically those three parts or no? Or is that, is that, that might be a 19th century innovation. Okay, then it has the second part of the sermon. Okay, great, great. That's good, good to know. That's something I've, I've wondered. Um, I think this might be a just two part sermon. I don't remember off the top of my head. All right. Any 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 concluding finishing thoughts on this one? And we'll be able to dig in a little bit more next time. And I think probably I will rearrange the mic 
and maybe see if I can get some speaker something so that we can kind of all work a little bit together, even if that means the recording is not as good. Well, all right. Well, I will, we will call it an evening then. Um, thank you all for joining us and I look forward to uh, continuing on. God bless. Yeah.